Hey, what is up? Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Lofermento, and it is the start of a new year, and that's why we are so focused on your growth personally and professionally this year, and today's guest is gonna bring the heat when it comes to putting all of that into perspective for you. So today's guest, his name is Ryan Renteria. He's a CEO coach at Stretch5, diverse board director and speaker who helps leaders optimize professional and personal growth. He's the author of Lead Without Burnout, Growth with less stress for you and your team with praise from 51 leaders, including Fortune 500 chairmen and CEOs. He spent nine years at Goldman Sachs and large head funds. Ryan became a partner and managing director of consumer investments at age 25. And after strong returns, left Wall Street at 30 for charitable pursuits, which I love where his career path has gone. He spent nine years as an analytics advisor to the Indiana Pacers, coaches and executives. He was part of the ownership group of the Milwaukee Brewers double-A minor league baseball team and a potential MLS team. So for those of you who know my love of soccer and basketball, you know how excited I am to talk to Ryan today. He's earned a bachelor's degree from Stanford University. We're going to talk all about his business, all about his experiences, and so many perspectives, all about growth and less stress. This is going to be an important one for all of us. I'm not going to say anything else. Let's dive straight into my interview with Ryan Renteria. Ryan, I am so excited that you're here with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. I'm very excited to be here and hopefully share a few things that will help leaders and their teams thrive. Heck yeah, so many. It's always fun for me because I'm just like, I know we're going to get into so many things. Neither you nor I know exactly where we're going, but we're going to start with your background because you have had an incredible career up to this point. You also are an entrepreneur. You're the CEO of your own company. So many different perspectives that you have. What's the short version of your story? How the heck did you start doing all this awesome stuff? Sure. No, happy to share. I uh, spent about a decade on Wall Street largely in the hedge fund business, managing money and investing in publicly traded stocks. And when you're charged with that task, you're often betting on the management team. And so I had to really spend a lot of time studying what makes great CEOs, great leaders, interacting with them, et cetera. And then I I ended up leaving for two years for charitable pursuits after a good run. And I transitioned to the Indiana Pacers where I got to work for a completely different set um, of leaders, advising GMs, coaches, players. And so really what I ended up doing is putting together those two decades of lessons from studying and advising the leaders and building this executive coaching business where I specialize in CEOs, founders, managing partners, effectively people that run businesses. And what I really want to do is scale the positive impact that I've had with these coaching clients to help more people with reducing burnout or the odds of experiencing burnout. And that's really why I wrote this book, Lead Without Burnout. So that's my best short synopsis of uh, 23 years. (laughs) Yeah, I love that, Ryan. Honestly, my job, I think, is a little bit more difficult today because somehow in a limited amount of time, I want to get all the good stuff out of you. But I think it's appropriate to start with Wall Street because there are probably fewer environments to work in that are more stressful than Wall Street. Like that is a high stress. It's very high pace. There's so much happening. Things literally change. We talk about industries changing over the span of a calendar 
year. Gosh, in Wall Street, things can change within four minutes <laughs> on the market. So talk to us about the stresses that you saw there, the way that great leaders who are handling it, who are coping with it. Obviously, you were successful there. What are those traits that really come out and, and make you successful in that crazy environment? Sure. Well, I think in any environment, the traits that make you successful at navigating that are creating this culture of well-being that allows you to attract A players, top-level talent, and then learning how to trust them and delegate to them so that they take more ownership of things off of your plate, which by the way, they're more than happy to do because you're not just assigning them a ton of grunt work, you're actually giving them higher level responsibilities. And that frees you up as a leader for better work-life balance, more uh, mental recharge time, deep strategic thinking about processes and markets and things of that nature. And I actually don't feel I did that very well in the hedge fund business. I was lucky to work with great people to contribute to the firm's performance and to become financially independent at a young age, but I was completely burnt out. My anxiety was off the charts. My stress level was off the charts. And I ended up walking away from the business after a good run because I felt if I stay in this business, it's going to destroy everything else outside of me that matters. And I just didn't yet have the lessons that took me the next 10 plus years to be able to be a great leader and have those tactics and strategies for creating that culture of well-being and not burning yourself out. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Ryan, when you talk about that already, I feel like you're giving us glimpses into the role of a CEO, what CEO actually means. But it's a lesson that probably took me the longest when it comes to my entrepreneurial journey to learn is the difference between an entrepreneur and a CEO. And even hearing you talk about those things of, hey, hire great talent and let them use their talents. Whereas when I was in my 20s, for example, I wasn't thinking like a CEO. I was thinking like an entrepreneur. And Ryan, when I heard people say things similar to what you just said, I'd be like, well, then what am I going to do? If everyone else (laughs) is doing the work, what am I going to do? Talk to us about that role of a CEO, because even before we can become better CEOs, I don't think most people understand the role of a CEO. Yeah, it's a great question, Brian. I think that what a lot of people do is they default to what got them there. So being very deep in the weeds, handling every single detail, micromanaging every uh, project, that's really what got you from entrepreneur to where you are today, what gets a lot of people from mid-level leadership to high-level leadership. And I think Harvard did a study that showed something like two-thirds of executives struggle to give up work from their previous role. But ultimately, you absolutely must do that or you'll never scale. You'll never build a culture that attracts A players because no one wants to come and work for somebody that micromanages people all the time and tries to be deep in the weeds and spearheading everything. And so the role really does change. And it's about how do I hire the best people and not necessarily get out of the way. Obviously, you need to be a great coach. You need to be a great communicator, give great guidance, but let them handle for the majority of the projects, the first 90%. And they can always bring you in for the final 10% so that you get the final stamp of approval on the most important things. And that frees you up. And a lot of the CEOs I work with say, well, gosh, like the exact question you said, well, what am, what am I going to do <laughs> if this frees me up for all this time? Am I going to be valuable or worthwhile to the organization? And the answer is, of course. First of all, you're going to spend part of that time mentally recharging on work-life balance with your family, working on your health, which is going to make you a drastically better executive and much more poised to scale the business. 
And second of all, you're going to spend some of that time on the single most important thing that you could be doing as an executive that people barely spend a fraction of their time on, and that's deep strategic thinking. If you're a CEO, you need to be thinking about markets, geographies, product lines, competitive threats, customer preferences and their changes, technology shifts, and you simply don't have time to do that when you're putting out fires and deep in the weeds all the time. And so you will be spending a lot more time in your office or at home before you come in, reading, thinking, writing about those topics. And that is going to be what drives your profitability, your cash flow, your return on capital over the long haul. Yeah, Ryan, I'll tell you what, we're about to take a twist here that I don't even know where we're going to go because hearing you talk about that, hearing you talk about the CEO's role, one of which is thinking. I would argue that most people don't know how to think. Ryan, that's what school trains us for is to be great employees. We're really great at doing homework assignments when they're given to us. As employees, we're really great at doing what our bosses tell. But as executives, we're the one who ideally is telling others what to do and in painting that roadmap. And I'm going to steal a concept from chess. So I love in chess, there's a very famous phrase that strategy is knowing what to do when there's nothing to do. Tactics are knowing what to do when there's something to do. So if there's a free piece to be taken, I'll take it. Of course, that's very easy from a tactical perspective. But strategically, how do I start plotting my long-term mission of getting after your king? And that's where a lot of people go wrong. So Ryan, I'd love for you to introduce us to that thought thread. How do we even start that strategic thinking without knowing? These are big, broad questions without answers. And and we are tasked with going and finding what to do when there is nothing to do. Lead us down that road. Sure. Well, it starts with creating a distraction-free environment. So either some of that strategic thinking can be done at home before you come into the office. It can be done with a walk in nature in the middle of the day, where there's scores of studies that show that walking in nature reduces anxiety and is going to give you your best distraction-free strategic thinking. Or it could be done in the office where you set expectations with your EA and your teammates no interruptions unless it's an absolute emergency. This is blocked off on the calendar. So really setting the environment is the most important thing. And then when you start to get into the strategic thinking, it's several fold. Really, it's what is going to deepen my competitive advantage on a three to 10 year basis? What is going to strengthen my moat? Is it going to be going into these markets, going into these geographies, adapting our technologies and our adoption of certain technologies changing along with what I'm seeing in terms of customer preferences changing, et cetera. And you should be doing, and part of this can occur during the strategic thinking time, regular reading and reviewing of the best industry trade magazines, Harvard Business Review, McKinsey, Forbes, and and pieces like that that are planting ideas in your head that allow you to sort of... um, you know, can, can incorporate some of those ideas as you're doing the deep strategic thinking about what is going to really bolster your profitability and your competitive position over the long term. And m and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the strategy versus tactics because a lot of people feel this fear of missing out. I, I need to buy this business now and they end up paying peak margins, uh, peak multiple on peak margins, rather than having a little patience and saying, now is the time to preserve my capital. And I might get a better opportunity to buy this company in a, in a better economic environment at a better valuation, et cetera. So that's one more thing I would add. 
Yeah, Ryan, I want to take this a little bit because my argument always on this podcast is that business is just a microcosm of life. All of this stuff that we talk about extrapolates into every facet of life. And I love that that's a core focus of your work as well, is that the way we act as executives in our businesses also impacts the way that we exist operate as executives of our lives and vice versa. It's both ways. I'd love for That's you to right. talk about that because you, you've already mentioned creating a distraction-free environment. Gosh, where, where my head goes, I'm like, you should have a distraction-free life. Like you should be able to operate <laughs> once. I mean, you and I were talking about basketball before we hit record. When I'm on the basketball court, I should just be playing basketball. If you are, I'm an uncle. When I'm in uncle mode, I should just be an uncle. Talk to us about that two-way road that's so important for us to consider. Right. Well, it's, it's a phenomenal point. And I think what happens a lot is people that are not leading in the way that I attempt to describe in the book, Lead Without Burnout, they'll come home at night, they'll have very short fuses with significant others, they won't be present, they'll be distracted by their phones. Maybe their mind is racing at 9 o'clock at night, they're not engaging in the best eating habits, they don't have time for workouts. And it's a sort of a negative snowball momentum downward effect because those things end up harming you as an executive in the workplace. And so really it is so important to be able to achieve those balances and achieve those silos and those different facets of life. Yeah. Talk to us about some of those things because I know that we can all relate to that. We know when we're not, we as entrepreneurs, we always say like log off, even though we're self-employed and we're just working from our laptops, that stuff sticks in our head. What is the recommendation here? Are we really trying to log off and totally switch? I think about obviously the concept of meditation. A a very wise man once told me meditation isn't about thinking about nothing. It's about acknowledging the thoughts that do come into your mind and having the ability to remove them from your mind. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're talking Mm -hmm. about here? How do we effectively put this into practice. That's part of it. Pull your car into the driveway and turn off the engine and spend three to five minutes meditating before you get out of that car and open that door because you don't want to bring in all the baggage from the workday home with your significant other and your children. Come in, place your phone somewhere away in a drawer where you're not going to have it in your pocket and feel this desire to constantly refer to it. And if you have young children, get down on their level, get down on your knees, look them in the eye and interact with them on that level and be fully present. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. God, Ryan, you're raising the bar. I'm so glad that this episode is airing when it is, because I think this year it's so important. This year, spectacular things are going to happen for people who heed this advice that you're sharing with us. I'm getting chills even hearing you talk about this level of presence in life. Go ahead. I appreciate it. I just add one anecdote and maybe um, when my kids get to become teenagers, I'll be mocked for saying this, but I've tried to execute the trust and delegate leadership principle that I espouse to CEOs with my kids. And it is really just incredible to see the more that I have attempted to not micromanage how many vegetables are they eating? When are they doing their homework? When are they getting their responsibilities done and saying, I trust you. You know your responsibilities. You know what you need to do. This is going to be helpful for your body. This is what needs to get done. And my children just don't want to let me down and violate that trust. And we end up having significantly fewer arguments because of it. So we'll see if it works when they're teenagers or not, but so far so good. 
<laughs> I love that, especially my brother's got two six-year-old twins. So seeing his hands full and the responsibilities and obligations that come along the way, Ryan, I'm going to be so keen to see how you all manage it as the kids get bigger, for sure. So <laughs> on that note, I really like, obviously your book is called Lead Without Burnout, Growth with Less Stress for You and Your Team. Let's talk about burnout because I think burnout manifests as, as someone who's been burned out as an entrepreneur. I went through a two-year sure. cycle where I thought I wasn't cut out for entrepreneurship because I allowed burnout to really get to me. What's, I guess this is a two-part question. One, what are the signs of burnout creeping into us? And two, where does burnout come from? Because it can come from a lot of places, but I guess I'm talking more about internally versus externally. Obviously, we know that if you're doing a bunch of things that you don't like, you're going to get burned out by it. But what is it triggering inside of us that manifests in, in the real world, in the way that we behave, the way that we think, and heck, the way that we feel? <laughs> I think it really can manifest in people in various ways. It may be that all of a sudden I start waking up at four in the morning, my mind is racing, I can't get back to work there, or I'm sorry, I can't get back to sleep. Therefore, I'm exhausted the next day at work. When we hit the dip in the circadian rhythms around two to 4 p.m., I'm worthless when it comes to productivity. That's one way it can manifest. These short fuses with your loved ones at home is another way it can manifest where you just, you've taken all you can take at work and you come home and you've held it together and then you let it out ironically on the people that you love and that you're trying not to let it out on. So I firmly believe, and I've seen it in my work that CEOs, other senior leaders can create less burnout, better health, more time with family, more freedom without sacrificing those big business goals. And it really comes down to culture with your organization, with your unit, with your group. How do you create a culture that frees yourself from the stress, from the workload that causes that burnout that harms your health and your relationships. That's really the point of the book, my executive coaching work. And the hope with the book is if you actually, as a leader, take all the steps that I outline in terms of creating a culture of trust, candor, mental health, and then trusting and delegating to those A players that you hire, and we have a whole chapter in the book on that, that frees you up for the strategic thinking and the, and the mental recharging, you're actually going to help your teammates substantially with reduced burnout, which is going to reduce the significant cost of turnover that you might already experience and give you a hell of a lot more purpose and meaning in life. Yeah, really well said, Ryan, because I think the fact that you use that that big old B, big C word of culture, that's something that we forget that we are setting, whether we realize it or not. I think that's the important thing. In the world of branding, we always say a brand is what others say about your company when you're not there. Your culture is what your employees, your teammates, your anyone who's involved in you says when you're not there is, is they're feeling your energy. You're setting that tone. Talk to us about some of those leadership principles, because Hearing you mention, you know, for ourselves, what we can do to avoid burnout, to live a more healthy lifestyle, to be better leaders. What can we do for our teammates? Because now we're bringing in so many different personalities, individuals. How can we lead more effectively to avoid burnout? Sure. Well, you, you bring up a good point. And there's um, a gentleman that, that I've worked with before who he's just a phenomenal father of three, empty nester. And he said something extraordinarily wise one day, which is, uh, I believe it was your kids listen to 10% of what you say, and they observe 100% of what you do. And I believe that that is very true in the workplace as well. Your teammates probably listen to a small portion of what you say, but they observe 
everything that you do. So it is on you to model the right leadership traits for those individuals so they can then model them for the folks underneath them. And it becomes this trickle down effect within the organization. So some of those principles, we, we talked about the trust factor. Are you micromanaging deep in the weeds or are you trusting them with the ownership, the autonomy and the responsibility to run with projects? By the way, that's one of the single biggest drivers of employee motivation, much more than compensation. So it's very good for retention. Or are you creating a culture of candor and psychological safety where people feel like I can actually bring up counter arguments to the boss and not have him shut them down with a definitive statement. Instead, he asks more open-ended questions of me that tease more of my insights out of me. And I, therefore, I feel great that I'm contributing to the dialogue. And it's about other forms of mental health from the uh, specific benefits that you provide your employees to really how you talk and treat them. Do you give them recognition, thank yous, customized gifts, surprise them with kind words? Do you care for them? Do you show them empathy in discussions? If they executed a good process, but had an unlucky outcome, are you harping on the bad outcome? Or are you saying, look, your process was sound and I believe in you and you're going to recover with the next one. Or you made this mistake and let me help you figure out where you made the mistake and what we can learn from it. So those are some of the things that, that I would really highlight to answer that question. Yeah, I love that answer, Ryan. You are raising the bar for us as leaders to really take this and implement it with our teams. Me personally, I'm just like, man, Ryan, I'm going to listen to this episode again and again. Luckily, we have the transcripts of it, but I want to. I, I want to create a culture of A players. And it's a phrase that you've said a few times already. And I know it's something that you put so much emphasis emphasis on is those A players. Ryan, I'm going to pick on you here because you not only are someone who helps others do this, but you've had a success, successful executive career. You've hired A players. You've built A player teams. That I think is its own skill in its own right. Talk to us about that ability because I think it's something that I know for me, gosh, it's taken me a long time to learn and sure. I think it's a tough lesson. How do you identify those A players? Because I used to think it's A level talent, but a player doesn't mean A-level talent. There's so much that goes into it. I'm dying to hear your insights. Sure. And it's so important that I dedicate an entire chapter to it in the book. And it really starts with, what do I want in this individual that I'm looking for? What is the, the specifics of the role and the specific talent or skill set that would fill that role? Are they a good cultural fit? What traits do I want in that individual? And then there are some procedural steps. So executing substantially greater due diligence than the average. Could you imagine uh, one of the examples I give in the book is about uh, college sports teams where the athletic director fires a coach, all of a sudden flies out somewhere else to meet with a candidate, falls in love with that person and offers them the job within two days. And could you imagine Microsoft or Google doing that? It, it's absurd, but it happens all the time in sports. It happens in business. We need a lengthy due diligence process where they're interviewing with multiple people, multiple rounds. We have a more scientific way of quantifying and rating the pros and cons. So that's we touch upon that in the book. Writing an enhanced job description that doesn't just do the standard boring qualifications, responsibilities, and, and different ways to expand upon that. Very unique interview questions, as well as more diligent reference checks, not just calling the one or two people on their list that they've already prepped in advance to say nice things about them, but making sure you dig deep to find former bosses and colleagues, that you put them at ease, 
and get the real scoop uh, out of what's going on or what went on with that uh, particular individual. And then I think sample assignments are extraordinarily valuable as well, giving them some sort of task that would be related to what they'd be doing for you. And so this entire process, it, it's a whole mosaic of things that's designed to help you get from an initial stack of hundreds of interested people down to that one or two people for that position that is really going to be the A player that you can fully trust. And you won't trust them right off the bat, but this will go a long way towards helping that cause. But over time, you'll give them baby steps, more responsibility. And, and they're key to all of this, because if you can't hire the A players and trust them to delegate, you'll never free up the time to prevent your burnout and to allow yourself to engage in the deep strategic thinking that's so important to your long-term returns and profitability. Yeah, Ryan, gosh, I wish I heard this episode years ago. You would have saved me <laughs> so much time and effort and money for sure along the way. And you would have really accelerated the growth. So I'm glad that we're bringing this to listeners right here, right now, because these are the actionable things. Listeners, go back and listen to Ryan's answer to that question again, because those are the real life things to incorporate in your hiring process, in your onboarding process to start building the culture of an A team full of A players so that you can lead in your most effective way. And on that note, Ryan, I feel like within your answers, I always say that success leaves clues. And I think today here on display in front of us, without you even seeing it, we're hearing a few things from you. One, we're very clearly hearing how value driven you are. When you talk about culture, you talk about you as the leader setting that tone. You talk about trust, you talk about openness, communication, all of those things that are so important. But the other thing that I'm really hearing and seeing from you today, Ryan, is you hold yourself to a very high standard. And I think that's so important for us to talk about very openly here in today's episode, because it's going to be a theme of our content here in 2024 is clearing the way, get rid of all the average, the mediocre stuff in our lives, because we need to demand extraordinarily highly of ourselves, because that'll trickle into everything, whether it's business we're talking about, we've talked about relationships, obviously, health is very important for you as well. Talk to us about some of those high standards that you personally have in your life as as your own person as your own entrepreneur brian i'm really glad you asked this question because if people take one thing away from the book i hope it's around this topic and that's why i really spent a good portion of the beginning of the book touching upon it i do believe we should set, set extraordinarily high standards for ourselves as whole humans the problem is that the majority of type a high performing world-class individuals have this perfectionist mentality that they believe that they can achieve a 10 out of 10 in every facet of life. 10 out of 10 as an executive, as a significant other, as a parent with health, and it's just not realistic. And so what I talk about in the book are certain exercises like a values and visions exercise to figure out which of the facets of life are most important to you, then a wheel of life exercise to figure out how you're doing against those values and in what areas of life you're falling short and to really zone in on what are the two to four areas of life that matter the most to you over the next one to three years and how do you become a nine out of ten in each of those areas so yes extraordinarily high standards of nine out of ten but in three to four different areas so that you are a ten out of ten as a whole human 
Yeah, really powerful insights from you there. And gosh, listeners, I know that if you're anything like me, you're chomping at the bit to get your hands on Ryan's book. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be dropping links to that as well as they're obviously in the show notes. But before we get there, I want to extract a little bit more brilliance out of you, Ryan, because I think this stuff is so important. And I just think it's it's fascinating to get inside the minds of what I consider to be extraordinary humans and extraordinary entrepreneurs and executives. And that's why I'm so fortunate that this is my job. I get to talk to people like you every single day, Ryan. With that said, I know that for me, it's it's quotes. Like I have so many quotes that quotes aren't good if you just read them and forget about them. But quotes really guide those low moments for me. When I'm in those times where stuff gets hard, that's where I turn to the wisdom of others that I digest in quote form to really get me through those low points. Ryan, let's talk about that because I don't think we can close this episode without talking about the inevitable <laughs> lows of being a leader. We carry a lot of weight on our shoulders to lead our teams, to lead our families, to lead so much of our lives. Where do you go in those moments? What gets you through those hard times that inevitably come? Sure. And I'm happy to share that in the book, I open up publicly for the for the first time really about my history with anxiety and how I battled it for the first 40 some odd years of my life before finally making it to the other side. And there's plenty of low moments when you're battling with something like that. And I've found whether you have anxiety or you don't, and there's other forms of low moments that CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy can be extraordinarily helpful. That's one of the more rational ways to attack it. And there are certain questions that we talk about in the book, and I share a few of them here, that you can ask yourself to try to either diffuse the anxiety or raise yourself up from the low moments, which are things like, well, do I have enough evidence to declare that where my mind is going is accurate? Or do I need to see more evidence emerge? Am I overestimating the odds of the worst case scenario and not really appreciating that there's a much more logical middle ground that's more likely to play out in this type of scenario? And secondarily, nothing helps me rebound from the low moments than laying out a plan of action steps. But first you have to understand what's in my control and what's not in my control. And so for what is in my control, I can lay out a plan of action steps such as, all right, three day, I'm putting on the calendar three days from now, I'm going to execute X, Y, and Z. Or this is important, but it's not urgent. So I'm going to postpone it till March and I'm going to put it in the calendar in March. And if it is not in my control, it is actually emotionally freeing because you have done everything in your power to maximize the odds of a good outcome. You've, you've executed the process and you're just experiencing a bad outcome. There's really not more, much more than you could have done. And that in and of itself can be freeing to kind of lift you from those low moments. And lastly, distract yourself by engaging in something else that you enjoy that takes your full attention. It could be playing a board game with your kids. It could be going out to a nice date night and dinner with your significant other. It could be volunteering and in the local community, something that's going to allow you to not have your mind just spiral over and over again from the negativity that you're experiencing in the work facet of your life. Yeah, Ryan, I'll tell you what, I'm getting chills so many times. It doesn't happen to me during every episode, but I'm really hearing you living that life that exemplifies so much of the ideals and goals that we all hope to get through. I really think, I, I didn't expect this to be the theme today, but that role of meditation in our lives is what I'm hearing from you is, yeah, be cognizant of the thoughts first and foremost, and then make the correct executive decisions of what do I do with these? It reminds me of that Maya Angelou quote where she says, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, 
change your attitude because it is that it absolves us of that weight of that burden. And I just think it's, it's so in line with the way that you hold yourself to high standards. It's obviously very aligned with your book, Lead Without Burnout, which I'm personally very excited to read here in the new year. So much goodness from you here today, Ryan. I'm going to give you the final and most difficult part of the episode, which is we talked about so many good things here today. Literally so many great topics. Listeners are going to feel uplifted. They're going to feel challenged in a very good way to take action. What is that action that you think everyone would benefit from after hearing us talk here today? Sure. I would highlight three. Number one, work on improving the mental health friendliness of your culture, whether it's your entire organization or your group or your unit. Number two, get comfortable with baby steps, trusting and delegating high-level responsibilities to the A players that you've landed on your team. And lastly, use that extra time that you freed up from them taking things off your plate for some combination of work-life balance slash mentally recharging and deep strategic thinking about things that are going to really move the needle for your group or your company on a five-year basis. Yeah, really good advice, actionable for every single one of us listeners. Can you see why I was so excited to welcome Ryan here to the show so early in the calendar year so we can all set our sails and make this the best year of our lives? Ryan, this has been so much fun. We've teased your book for sure. Listeners, I know they're going to be super keen to go deeper into your work, all the awesome things that you have out there. So drop those links on us. Where should listeners go to get all this good stuff that you're putting into the world? Sure. If you go to leadwithoutburnout.com, you can sign up for free there and we'll send you the intro to the book. And once a month, we'll send you an email with insights on these topics. You can pre-order the book on Amazon until January 23rd when it comes out and you can buy it on Amazon or anywhere else at that time. All the profits from the book uh, will go till will be donated to mental health charities such as Mindshare Partners, which focuses on mental health in the workplace specifically. And for CEO coaching, the website is thestretch5.com, thestretch5.com. Yes, listeners, you already know the drill. We are making it as easy as possible to hit those links. So definitely check out leadwithoutburnout.com. That link is down below for Ryan's book as well as his business website is at thestretch5.com. Both of those links are in the show notes wherever it is that you're tuning in. We're also linking to Ryan's personal LinkedIn if you want to connect with him and reach out and say thank you for today's episode. Very few people are brave enough to reach out to people that they hear on shows. So be one of those few. Make that an effort this year in 2024. Otherwise, Ryan, I want to personally thank you. And I want to say it on the air here for people all over the world to hear is that I really respect you as a human, as a man, as an entrepreneur, as a leader. I'm so grateful that you've shared not only your your generous perspectives and experiences with us here, but I know how much work goes into publishing a book and pouring your heart out and putting it all out there permanently for everyone to benefit from. So thank you so much for showing up the way you do and coming on the show here today. I really appreciate the kind words, Brian, and it's been an absolute blast. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Brian here, and thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. If you haven't checked us out online, there's so much good stuff there. Check out the show's website and all the show notes that we talked about in today's episode at thewantrepreneurshow.com. And I just want to give a shout out to our amazing guests. There's a reason why we are ad-free and have produced so many incredible episodes five days a week for you. And it's because our guests step up to the plate. These are not sponsored episodes. These are not infomercials. Our guests help us cover the costs of our productions. They so deeply believe in the power of getting their message out in 
in front of you, awesome entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that they contribute to help us make these productions possible. So thank you to not only today's guests, but all of our guests in general. And I just want to invite you, check out our website because you can send us a voicemail there. We also have live chat. If you want to interact directly with me, go to thewantrepreneurshow.com, initiate a live chat. It's for real me. And I'm excited because I'll see you as always every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday here on the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast.